The Big Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop culture with magazine editor Ben McKechn and scriptwriter Mark Hadley. A Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. Welcome to This Galaxy. My name is Russell Matthews. And I'm his cultural attaché, Mark Hadley. (laughs) Welcome to episode 43 of The Big Picture for the week beginning December 20, the final one of the year. Coming up on today's show, Luke, Leah, Han and the gang are back with Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Jack Black ushers in some kid-friendly horror with goosebumps. And Ben gives us his New Year's resolutions for 2016. What will he be absolutely, positively not going to miss at the cinemas? Mate, you're hey, here. Okay. I'm here. Now, for those people who might be wondering, hang on a second, that didn't sound a lot like Ben McKechn. It doesn't. It's because we've got Russ Matthews, one of our regulars in the studio with us. Russ, thanks very much for coming. Oh, man, it's great being here. We're really excited to have you on the show on account of the fact that there's just so much American stuff <laughs> to, expl- right. to explain and justify. I'm glad I'm here to interpret for you. Thank you very I'm much. Here, yes. It's finally happened. The Force has awakened. This week, we'll be talking through the reboot to that epic franchise George Lucas started a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That's right. Now, no spoilers, we promise, but lots to look forward to as we look at all the other holiday musts as well. And you might have noticed that with Russ here, we've got our own insight into everything American, so I'd assume that he's going to make sure there'll be no mistakes. Definitely. That's what I'm here. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what you brought me on for. Yeah, there you go. But before we get going, look, let's take a look at this week in the news. The Golden Globe nominations for uh, 2016 have been announced, and the Australians are getting a strong look. We've got Kate Blanchett is nominated for Best Actress in a Motion Picture Drama for Carol. And the film is also nominated for the Best Motion Picture Drama. Which I actually think uh, we reviewed a couple of weeks back. So check into uh, our archive on thebigpicturewebsite.com. Uh, we actually reviewed Carol. It's going to be a brilliant performance, but it's a conflicting film. So see what you think. But here's something I want to know. Also in the news, Matt Damon has been nominated in the Golden Globes for Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture Musical or Comedy. For The Martian. Of course, because The Martian... Is a comedy or a a musical. Somebody explain to me how the Golden Globes are working. I'm not really sure. You can always email us at, (laughs) um, well, tellthebigpicture at gmail.com. But this film is about astronaut Mark Watney, who's on a manned mission to Mars, is presumed dead after a fierce storm, and has to find ways to survive alone. Obviously, you can see the laughs in that. On Boxing Day, actually, probably the one that everyone has been anticipating after Star Wars would be... Alvin and the Chipmunk, the road chip. Is it how many Alvin and the Chipmunks is that? I now? think actually this gets us up to four. Wow. Four of them. And I've yeah. missed all of them. I, <laughs> you I really, feel like I've missed out. And you have boys. I can't believe this. Yeah, yeah Alvin and the Chipmunks. We work hard. Right. Also coming out on uh, Boxing Day is Trumbo. Now you might not have heard much about this until recently, but Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad uh, is playing the role of Dalton Trumbo, who was it's basically a biopic about one of Hollywood's highest paid writers who becomes ultimately uh, one of their sort of most blackest names because in the 1940s there was a communist witch hunt in America. And so he gets blacklisted. It co-stars Helen Mirren, Ellen Fanning, uh, Diane Lane. It's rated M, but it's well worth having a look at. What else have we got going? The next thing we have coming up, we have Joy coming up on Boxing Day, which is David O. Russell who did uh, a Silver Lining Playbook. Um, He returns with his usual cast of characters for the true story of a female inventor who strives to escape from her family history. 
And we've also got Daddy's Home. I mean, there's just stacked wall-to-wall films for uh, Boxing Day. This is a kind of a loving but dweebish stepdad played by Will Ferrow, uh, Ferrell, sorry, who's confronted by the cool but jerkish biological father, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> uh, and so the two of them sort of go to war for the love of the children caught in the middle of that. Right. That should be some fun. It's rated PG for mild I know, I can't humor. believe it. PG, okay. I know, a well, for a Will Ferrell, who knows? Yep, and then uh, the next one, actually, I think you reviewed this last week, was The Good Dinosaur. It's the film that Pixar forgot. Um, it's the, <laughs> the Pixar film that asked the question, what if dinosaurs had not gone extinct? And that's a rated G or PG? That one's actually rated PG, Mark. Yeah, there's a few people who actually got that a bit mixed up. Be a little warned again, this is a PG film. There's some disturbing images in that for a Pixar film. It's right. It definitely is. Okay, also coming out on Boxing Day is Suffragette. So the foot soldiers of the early feminist movement, women who were forced underground as they were trying to get the vote for women, uh, basically stars Carrie Mulligan, Helena Bonham Carter, Meryl Streep. We've also got a review on that. Check back on the site. It's rated M for mature themes and coarse language. Another good watch, a bit of serious watch, that one. Yeah, definitely. Ever wondered what happened to Luke Skywalker after he finished dancing with Ewoks? I mean, I didn't we wonder. all really want to know what happened <laughs> exactly. 10 minutes later in those trees? But we'll finally have a chance to find out. 38 years after George Lucas first took us to that fabled galaxy far, far away, cinema goers now have the chance to go there once again, but this time with J.J. Abrams. Uh, and he has produced a, a destination which is, I think, in some respects, far grittier, far deeper, mm. more epic Star Wars The Force Awakens is the seventh episode in this epic story. It's already being hailed a classic. Really? Already a classic? Yeah. I, I, earlier today, I hailed it. <laughs> exactly. That's a classic. Like, amazing. There we go. <laughs> Just in a day already, it's a classic. <laughs> uh, but it is also an interesting myth and probably a lot different to one that Lucas conceived. There are stories about what happened. It's true. Did you want another epic? Well, you've got it with a capital E. Star Wars 7 weighs in at 135 minutes, including a ton of special effects and, more importantly, excellent acting, undergirding, and engaging story. This is, I would say, probably the second best Star Wars film yet. It wipes away the last three prequels without even looking back. It's 30 years after the events of the Return of the Jedi in that galaxy far, far away, and though Emperor Palpatine and the villainous Darth Vader are long dead, the Sith aren't. So there's a certain dark side of the Force that's still going on. Enter Andy Serkis, who plays Supreme Leader Snoke, who's seeking to hold together the remnants of the Empire Empire, and he has a new stormtrooper legion called the First Order, led by this character Kylo Ren. You know he's a bad guy because he's all in black, he's got a red lightsaber and a helmet. Sounds a bit familiar? You'll mm, find out why yes. if you watch the rest of the film. <laughs> so Kylo has embraced the dark side of the Force. He's opposed by a new band of heroes, including a reformed stormtrooper called Finn, a desert scavenger called Rey, and a hotshot resistant pilot called Poe. And together they reunite with old allies... 
Enter Han Solo, Chewbacca, Princess Leia in a quest to find who? Luke Skywalker. Yep, it's a family event, people. It's just got everybody They're all back. And basically, uh, it it is a reimagining of that universe with J.J. Abrams. It has depth. It's got style. I don't think people are going to be disappointed about outlaying any sum of money to go see this film. It's got scale. J.J. Abrams does marvellous scale. It's amazing. Yeah. When some of these ships come across the screen, it was something that the awe that you had in the first or the original, but even what he's able to do with this one is phenomenal. And he also explains what happens to all those starships that fall out of the sky too. (laughs) Look out for that one. Again, we don't want to sort of spoil that, but there's interesting things in it. But what's more is the script. Would you say the script is funny? it's funny. Uh, that's actually the thing that really made it. I mean, we went back and looked at some of the older, the prequels, if you even want to acknowledge those, and you really felt like, oh, they're flat. They're, they're flat. Ernest. Because the writing was so poor. Yeah. Well, this, just the writing was exceptional. It had, it had all the things that you wanted, but it was funny. What about somebody who's really not a science fiction fan? Do you think this would be a film that would appeal to them too? Yeah, I think so because uh, there are a lot of universal themes that get picked up in the film, film, and one of them would have to be the whole idea of parenting and fatherhood. I'll say a little bit more about that, but but the film itself has a real engaging human storyline. It's not just relying on um, a lightsaber, a battle, and an explosion, a Death Star, that sort of stuff. Though it's got those classic elements, it's really kind of cool. Right, very cool. Now, but one one of the things that always has been intriguing, I think it's really driven the story for so much of the franchise's history, would be the Force. Does the Force really play into this whole thing? Yeah, J.J. Abrams actually signaled this early on that he wasn't going to make the midi-chlorian mistake. You know okay. what I'm going to say? He wasn't going to go too far oh, into yeah. explaining the Force and the philosophy of the Force and that sort of stuff. So the Force actually plays a key role. Uh, but it is not as big as you would expect. Okay, right. it's really this is really a thriller and a search. It's a quest okay. story. So basically, we're out to try and find Luke Skywalker, uh, hoping that he'll help restore the balance. The Force does get a mention. It's a little unfortunate in some parts. Okay, okay but um, like the Force is presented as something that unites both good and evil, right. uh, and holds them in balance. As if, if you can imagine in the Star Wars universe, that we want to have a good portion of evil to balance out the good portion of good you know right so long as we've got jedi and sith we're kind of okay and that seems to be the sort of uh balance idea but that's not really a universe we want to live in so right. you know i find that a bit strange you know both being parents you know because it's interesting you kind of going down this whole track with the force but i remember back when the original film came out that there was some concern especially from christian parents about the whole idea notion of the force mm. and what that meant and what and all and some of them even want to say no our children should not go to see this mm. well this is a whole new generation actually this is almost two generations now later that we're dealing with the force again it's coming into into our rooms into our houses and all that should something we should be wary about yeah the force is less religious this time around oh okay and, and more kind of like uh, you can probably say self-confidence and believe in yourself and get the same result mm. out of these I mean there is a mythical power that's sort of sitting behind things but that's actually not the main story and I'm really happy for that the main story in this film is all about fatherhood and parenthood yeah. now I'm not going to give away the story yeah. but mm. there there is great moments and where which at one point Princess Leia says to a character we won't say who because just spoil it, but <laughs> She says, you know, um, uh, Luke might be a Jedi, but you're a father. 
Mm. Uh, as if to say that's a far more powerful role. And I think we acknowledge that. I think people who are listening that will go, yeah, at that point, because fathers throughout the film in different ways have amazing effects on the various characters. And to me as a Christian, I always look at that and I think, why do we think fatherhood is such a fantastically significant role for directing where we're going to go in life, for setting up our barriers of good and evil? Right. And I think it's because we're made that way. Because yeah. I believe that God is the father from which all our fathers take you know, their pattern, good or bad, right. we, we do well or we do badly so much as we reflect him. And so I sort of feel like parents can have lots to talk about here, you know, about uh, what is actually good about fathers and and um, who's the ultimate father than me. What we might want to know cares for us and, in fact, yeah. is there to set things up for us. You're saying go see it. Yeah, look, it is, it's got double thumbs up. Look, I've got my double lightsabers up if I had them handy. Right. So there you go. So, so if there's a cinema in your town, it's probably running Star Wars: The Force Awakens on every screen, plus maybe a bed sheet in the car park. <laughs> <laughs> and it it stars Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, and pretty much everybody else that's involved is going to be famous from this film. So it's definitely worthwhile. It is rated M, and definitely worth considering as far as for your younger viewers for science fiction themes and violence. Well, coming up in the show, yet we've got more on Star Wars. Adrian Drayton gives us his five point guide to people who don't understand Star Wars and maybe want to know what to do. <laughs> oh, great, because that's something. Good... We've also got the great franchise face-off, Star Wars versus Star Trek, which oh, is better. Yeah. Hang in for that. Welcome back. Do you feel a little bit lost when it comes to Star Wars? Feel like you need a guide? Well, we're here to help. We, we may think that we know stuff about Star Wars, but we have to take a back seat to one of our regulars, movie critic and arch sci-fi geek Adrian Drayton from Insights Magazine. So we thought for press record this week, we get him to tell Ben everything you really need to know about Star Wars before you hit the cinemas for The Force Awakens. If you're like a, my wife who hasn't been able to actually stay awake through a Star Wars film, <laughs> you may need a bit of a crash course to get you up to speed. So episode 7 follows on from the original trilogy, which are actually episodes 4, 5 and 6 in the saga. You can pretty well forget about the prequels, or episodes 1, 2 and 3, they're called, because basically the cranky fanboys don't like episodes 1, 2 and 3 because they use too many special effects and not enough practical Right, effects. so what you're saying basically is all the more recent ones, just forget about those, just think about the original ones which actually yes. come later in the whole series. They do. They come later. They're 4, 5 and 6 and episode 7 follows directly on from 6. I hope your wife is listening. I, I do too. <laughs> so a couple of the other interesting facts. While George Lucas conceived the original Star Wars idea, he didn't direct the fan favourites which are Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Mm. That was left the, to I'm sure there's no people. comment in what you just said then about George Lucas and his uh, handling of his own product. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? So, but an interesting fact nonetheless. Interesting fact. So that means another director having a crack at episode 7 the Force Awakens is a really good thing. Oh, so you as a fan, you're looking forward to the fact I that George Lucas is it. not directing it. Absolutely. Yes. And so in a nod to some of Lucas's first ideas, J.J. Abrams chose some names from the original script. So Luke Skywalker was originally called Luke Starkiller. So you'll <laughs> Who note, was he? Yes. <laughs> so you'll note in the um, new films that there's a there's a element called Starkiller Base, which we don't know anything about because we don't really know anything about the story. No, but you're talking about In the Force Awakens, there in is the a Starkiller Base. There's a Starkiller Base, which is like the enemy base or fortress or something. Okay. So that's a quick nod. Yes. So anyway, here's five quick facts. That, that wasn't one of your facts? Mate, you're that's full another, of Star Wars facts. That's, yeah, that's another... Well, that's a nod. I'm, I'm that's a nod, not a fact. That's okay. a nod, not a fact. <laughs> So first fact is the Empire is bad and the Jedi Knights are good. So this is if you've never seen a Star Wars film. Okay, yes. So you may be you may have been confused by the Empire Strikes Back because the bad guys aren't usually in the title. 
first fact. Fact two, ultimate bad guy Darth Vader is the ultimate good guy, Luke Skywalker's father. Whoa! Are you sure you want to reveal that? Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that, it's not a spoiler, because all sci-fi franchises are about the struggle between good and evil. Um, Princess Leia is Luke's sister, and therefore Vader's daughter too. So it's a good thing those two crazy kids never actually got together romantically. Because there was a little bit of slight romantic, which we shouldn't really go into now, because it's just making me feel icky. slightly awkward. But you're right, it's good that they never got together. Let's move on. So there are lots of animal villains on the planets they visit in the Star Wars films, but they're all puppets because they weren't special effects. So they're not very scary, except Jabba the Hutt. I think he was actually pretty scary. Yeah, is this a fact? I think this is a fact. Which fact do we have to? Four. Four? We're up to four. Mate, we're rattling along. We're rattling along. So, uh, fact number five, the Empire is defeated, but the struggle continues. So, <laughs> always, right? Because otherwise always, they wouldn't be able to make always. more films. So, the next install- installment, Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens, we'll see the old gang picking up the lightsabers once again. Well, wow, so in, in summation, out of all those five facts that you just mentioned, and all the nods and the tidbits and that kind of thing, you're yes. saying if you've never seen a Star Wars movie before and you grab all that stuff together that you just mentioned, yeah. you'll be fine. You will. You'll be up to speed. <laughs> fully up to speed. May the force be with you. Excellent. And also with you. <laughs> As Adrian Drayton from Insights Magazine with Ben McKechn. Well, when it comes to talking about science fiction franchises, there are none that come close to rivaling our next topic. Six original and spin-off television series with another on the way next year. Twelve feature films and a new one to be produced by J.J. Abrams. A multi-billion dollar book, comic, game and merchandise franchise. And I am, of course, talking about Star Trek. Star Star Trek? What else could we be talking about? Because which sets us up for our segment, The Great Star Trek versus Star Wars Showdown. In the blue corner, a man who finished the Kessel Run in only 12 parsecs, Russell Matthews, will be fighting. Fighting for George Lucas's epic dream. Uh, and in the red corner, a man best described as life, Jim, but not as we know it, myself, <laughs> championing Gene Roddenberry's amazing creation. Right. So we're going to, we've got a series of best ofs to go through for right. our franchise face-off. Let the battle begin with Star Wars. Who is the best hero? Russell. Hands down, even within the, the most recent outing, Han Solo. Han Solo, he's both good and bad. Or is he good? Or is he bad? But yet he's just appealing, he's funny, and he is cool. Right, and for Star Trek? Absolute rubbish, it's William Shatner. Of course, who could could compare to Captain James T. Kirk? Might I point out that in a recent... uh, Captain Kirk is such an incredible, expansive, faintly ridiculous, yet supremely capable leader that recently, in 2002, his original Star Trek chair was auctioned for $304,000. Because no one wants him to sit in it. That's (laughs) exactly why. Okay, let's go back to Star Wars. Wars now. Greatest heroine. Now, you know what? This one's a little bit more challenging because there really aren't a lot of options, interestingly, in George Lucas's world. And so really it came down to, in the originals, with Leia and Padme, and it really comes down to Princess Leia. Yeah, Princess Leia, that. for the sake of focus, the f- sake of drive, and she... Well, yeah, she's Princess Leia. And that Leia. stupid hair. And that stupid <laughs> Which hair. really makes people sort of look exactly. at Exactly. And they kind of they fixed that in this, this most recent out. And outing. for Star Trek... 
Captain Janeway. Now, most people who haven't watched the television series wow. won't know who Captain Janeway yeah, yeah, was. Okay, yeah, yeah. She was the only female commander of a Star Trek right. uh, ship to boast her own television series, which included 172 one-hour episodes. Take that, Princess wow. Leia. Okay, brilliant, except for her hair, which is even stupider <laughs> than Carrie Fisher's. Exactly. Who would have thought that? Yeah. Okay, let's move back on to Star Wars. Okay, here we go. Greatest villain. Now, you know what most people would think? Darth Vader would be the, my... I my, would have thought that would have been would be Darth Vader because he's the archetype of evil. Yep. But I would have to say it's really the puppet master, the emperor. The, the emperor. emperor is really the one that's behind it all. And really, if you think about it, it goes throughout all of the whole series as far as the emperor is the one that really pulls all the strings. And so I'd say he's really the best villain And if you think about it, we all find old people creepy. <laughs> Sorry, that was actually... Now, I'm going to apologise no, right wow. now and say that's not the case. Just alienated that part of the audience That was a joke here. written for me by Fernando, our, uh, <laughs> Thanks, man, Fernando. our producer over here, and also Consuela is laughing in the background. It's our camera room, so I just want to say that right now. It had nothing to do with me. Okay, but on Star Trek... <laughs> Khan. Oh, okay. Well, now, yeah. well we, I, I can't. Argue I couldn't with that, have said on. that recently, okay? No. Because the original Khan was done by Ricardo Montalban, and that was just honestly silly. I mean, right. Khan just looked threatening because he had hair that looked like it had too much stuff in it. Okay, but we've got the superhuman, super smart, super strong Benedict Cumberbatch. So I kind of figure, but I'm probably going to give it to you because the Emperor probably is over the top. Okay, of Okay, there we Khan. go. All right, cool. I'll let's take go, that one. Let's go back to Star Wars because I think I'm going to get you on this one. Uh. Star Wars, the best. Ship. Now, see, okay, again, now I'm going to really go down a track that probably this would really have to go to most Star Wars nerds as far as really being the ship because everybody goes, is going to go Millennium Falcon. I can't believe you're not going to say Millennium, Millennium Falcon. Falcon. No, it's actually Bo- it's Boba Fett's ship, Slave One. Oh, Slave okay, One okay. has to be the coolest ship, and it was the one that everybody wanted when we were growing up. He said, "You want Boba Fett's ship?" So Boba Fett, you know, is one of, one of those guys that's out there. He's not necessarily even has any lines. I don't think even in the whole series, but yet it is one of the coolest ships in Star Wars. I think he tells his son to say, "Pack, we're going." <laughs> yeah, at some point, it, that's, that's pretty in one much of the prequels. It. That's pretty much it. Line. But in Star Trek, Star Trek. Let's be honest. The Starship Enterprise is epic. And I don't just mean it on is epic. screen, okay? It's had seven variants all through the films. I yeah, could be wrong there by about one or yeah, two. Yeah. But it is an amazing thing. But here's the real test, okay? It is so famous that in 1994, the real aircraft carrier Enterprise hosted a Star Trek convention of its very wow. own so that you could buy memorabilia. As a result of a successful letter-writing campaign, NASA named the initial flight test of the Space Shuttle Enterprise. <laughs> Prize, okay. Here you go. And NASA has named its advanced prototype for warp style travel, you guessed it, the ISS Enterprise. Enterprise. Okay. There you go. This yeah, I, I'm going to give that one to you. There man. We that go. was just it. Well, let's get back to Star Wars. Best sidekick. Now, this one, there is just so many options because, I mean, you can go robotic, you can go C3PO, R2D2, um, or you could go humanoid or maybe even creatures, all the different ones that you can look at. But. Ultimately, what it came down from my decision is who would I want at my side in the heat of battle? So, obviously not Chewbacca on account of the fact of the smell. It is Chewbacca. Come on. Of course (laughs) it's Chewbacca. Chewbacca, I mean, he has the coolest weapon. He's the biggest man. But he's wearing a huge flea collar around his waist. (laughs) It's like his shoulders. But he never gets injured. I mean, he never gets injured. It's amazing. And also, you can stand behind him if you ever ever need to. And whatever he says, you can interpret it for whatever you like. Exactly. Nobody knows what he's really saying except for Han Solo. But no, Chewbacca, come on. And for Star Trek? I know where you're going with this one. Scotty. 
Did you see that coming? No. No, I didn't go with Spock. You thought I'd go with Spock. Because I love someone who tells you that you can't do something and then you do it anyway. Kirk is forever going, you know, take us to warp seven. And he goes, you kind of change the laws of physics. And then we do. You know, or um, how about this? What you need to do is you need to crash us into the atmosphere, split the planet in half and take us into a new time zone. She can't take much more of this, but apparently she can. She can, yeah. She always makes this. He's the best psychic because he always makes you look good. Yeah, that's right. That's funny. Okay. And how about for Star Wars? The best plot twist. Oh, well, you know, this one's iconic. Yeah, I mean, you just can't go past this one. And he goes to Empire Strikes Back. And I mean, even talking about fathers earlier and the importance of that. No, I am your father. Yeah, it is hard. Because you people, cannot. Everybody go knows past that, that line. It's everybody, very hard. even if you, even if they haven't seen the films, they know the line. They know the importance of it, and they know that it is the ultimate twist. And the thing I loved about it was it came at an era before all the super spoilers out there, out there on Facebook, and all this are trying to predict all the things that are going on with the latest film, and no one knew it was coming. And when it did. What? People were traumatized. Oh, it was... it was. They had counseling at the front of the have, cinema. What's going on? I mean, you can't even go to the whole Luke and Leia all of a sudden being siblings, you know, which is kind of creepy that like, they talked about. But <laughs> no, no, I am your father. Okay. It's D-Twist, maybe. And Star Trek? Ah! Apparently, Spock's not dead after all. <laughs> no, they, Surprise! They, they have an entire film where they kill him off. Okay, one of the most tragic, poignant scenes in science fiction, the death of Spock as Kirk is on the other side of the glass and they're putting hand-to-hand and that sort of stuff. No, wait. Apparently, he stuck his consciousness in McCoy's head. There you go. There was apparently room for another person in there. Who would have thought? Okay, no, yeah. And the destruction of the home world, the Vulcan rewriting of time itself can't kill this pointy-eyed guy. <laughs> the pointy-eared guy just goes on and on and on. He's the undeniable king of resurrection as far as science fiction is concerned. Well, listen, we're going to have a quick break now because what's going to happen is our producer, everyone's having a role in the show today. It's kind of a reunion. Our producer wanted to have a say in what she thought were the two worst moments in both franchises. Oh, really? And okay, the first one, hear this one, her worst moment comes from Star Wars first. Master, sir, I heard Yoda talking about midichlorians. I've been wondering. What are midichlorians? Midichlorians are a microscopic life form that resides within all living cells. They live inside me. Inside your cells, yes. And we are symbionts with them. Symbionts? Life forms living together for mutual advantage. Without the midichlorians, life could not exist, and we would have no knowledge of the Force. They continually speak to us, telling us the will of the Force. When you learn to quiet your mind, you'll hear them speaking to you. I don't understand. The time and training, Annie, you will. You will. More craziness coming up. Uh, not so much Star Trek and Star Wars this time. Honestly, did you understand the midi no, thing? It's like, what What was that whole thing? You know? Oh, yeah, just by the way, I'm going to take some of your blood. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, like, what? oh, sure. Here, oh, please. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love the fact that they actually likened the force to the flu. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you got, you got some oh, of that? you caught it. Yeah. Oh, no, okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, we've got more coming up in the show yet. We're actually going to be looking at Goosebumps, which is one of the big All films right. coming out, a bit of a, a horror comedy. Also, the best song of the year from a movie. Mm. Russell, tell us what he thinks. Fantastic. Welcome back. Uh, I definitely want to make sure that encourage you. 
If you enjoy this show, you can actually go to the website. There's a website. We have the big picture website. Spared no expense. Yeah, that, Sorry, definitely. I, hey. I talked right out of the URL. It, it is perfect. It's the big picture website.com. Now, this segment is actually called Soundtrack. And Soundtrack, we look at the best song from a movie this year. Now, you know what, Mark? This is an interesting challenge when I was given this task because there really haven't been too many movies that have it's not like great big, soundtracks. Yeah, it's not like a big musical year. You, you, you like don't that. sit there and automatically think of, oh, that's the, that's the one. Um, I actually even did kind of a personal survey. I went, went online and actually asked some of my friends and things, hey, what do you think? What's the best movie song of the year? Let It Go from Frozen. Which is the Glory year. from I, Selma. I, and I, guess I, what? Those are all from 2014. Yeah, we were also traumatized yeah, by yeah. Frozen. That yeah, we yeah. think we could actually do it again. That's right. <laughs> well, and then I did find a couple soundtracks, but they were soundtracks and they were also kind of films that probably no one has, maybe has seen. Was Because uh, I love the soundtrack to Ex Machina. And The Man from Uncle had a phenomenal soundtrack. And also even Legend, the Tom Hardy film, had great soundtracks. But you know what? Was there one song? And it was hard to find that one song. And so kind of going around and looking, and finally, I think I found it, is a song that has really some interesting biblical ties, as a matter of fact. So the song is...
So there you have it. Writings on the wall, Sam Smith from Spectre. And so it it was interesting that Sam Smith actually went out and really tried to get this song. He wanted to actually be able to write it. He wrote it. Yeah. And fascinatingly enough, did you realize the number one highest grossing Bond song was actually <laughs> Licensed to Kill by Duran Duran, if you can believe no, that. 1985. Really? Yes, exactly. I would have picked heaps of different exactly. songs. Exactly. There were so many others. I went through and looking it through, I thought for sure it'd be Adele or something like that, but no, except for um, one of the things that Sam was able to do was achieve, which I find fascinating, because, especially with the background that you have from James Bond being British, that this was the first song to ever from a Bond film to go to number one in the UK. Okay, you yeah, mean it actually didn't stretch that high before? Yeah, yeah, actually never before. I mean, only, only other ones that actually even got close was Adele and also "Let It Let uh, Live and Let Die by Paul McCartney and Wings. So yeah, it's fascinating. It's an interesting history, but that is the only song that I could actually find that was really of great value in 2015. Not a bad choice. Well, we've come to that segment, which is one of my personal favorites, what your kids are watching, or in fact, what they'll be watching next. And as a parent, we really want to know, you know, what sort of things are the kids going to be watching? Will it be worthwhile? So for what your kids are watching this week when they're not watching Star Wars, let's face it, we thought we'd take a look at a multi-million dollar book franchise Mm. that's making the jump to film this summer. Goosebumps books have been crowding kids' shelves since the early 1990s, and this January, it'll finally make its way to the movie cinemas in the form of a Jack Black comedy aimed at late primary and early high school kids. Whoa, the abominable snowman of Pasadena? These are all Goosebumps manuscripts. Why are these books locked? Did you unlock a book? Oh, no. I'm sorry. I'll put it back where it belongs. Look, here it is. No, don't open it! Zach Cooper has moved to Delaware 
with his mother. <laughs> it would move Even from New d- York City to Delaware. And interestingly enough... So this enough, is a downgrading in his life. <laughs> there okay, you right. go. So, he, which, yeah, I mean, as a teenager, he's kind of like, oh, what is going on? What are you doing moving me to Delaware? But he moves next door to an interesting young interest, love interest of okay. his, but has a fascinating father who seems really disinterested in this young guy named Zach. Come to find out, he's actually R.L. Stein, the R.L. Stein. Who is R.L. Stein? R.L. Stein, who is the author of the best-selling Goosebumps series. Oh, okay. So they're actually acknowledging that the books exist in the film. In the film. It's, he's played by Jack Black. It's the, the R.L. Stein's actually not in... Well, he's in the film, but just in a cameo. But he actually is next door. But he plays kind of this reclusive individual. He doesn't want to really engage with anybody in the community. But then... Interestingly enough, Zach and his best friend get into the house and yeah. they open up one of the Goosebump, Goosebump novels okay. and come to find out <gasps> the monsters all come to life. They oh. are all real. Okay, and they're all trapped inside their books. They're all trapped inside of their books and they get out and they wreak havoc on this small town in Delaware. It's probably the most exciting thing that happened in that small town in Delaware <laughs> yeah. ever. And uh, I really found that it was it was a fascinating story as far as going through. If you have any sort of connection with Goosebumps, I think you'll probably really enjoy this. If you don't, you know, it's really interesting. It kind of introduces, introduces you to this world. Um, it's kind of this interesting combination of comedy and horror for children. Yeah, this is what I want to know. So horror for kids. I mean, take it from a parent here. Sorry, that really does start to sound like something I maybe don't want my sons to see. I mean, what is it like? Is it horrifying? It's not really horrifying. And really, one of the things that R.L. Stein even talks about in his books is that he strives to stay away from the whole idea of death. There is some allusions to that. And even there's even zombies in the film. So, I mean, as far as understanding going through and seeing zombies, I think that this is really marketed more to that tween um, or or teen market, the pre-teen market, uh, much more than it would be to your younger um, audience. As far as your young boys, I probably yeah. wouldn't t- take them to, but this this age bracket has a tendency to be a little bit jaded, and so maybe they might enjoy it. Okay, hang on a second. The one other thing, though, if I re- recollect the books properly, there's always a bit of a twist mm. in all of the plot lines. Is, a last, right. is there a last-minute twist? Okay, no, don't give it away, but is there? Do they yeah. follow the format? Well, you know what? That is a really good point, because it's, uh, it's actually, I've been watching some of the interviews with R.L. Stein, and he always talks about the twist and that being one of the most important parts of his book and it's even alluded to when Jack Black is teaching as R.L. Stein in the movie he talks about the importance of the twist and I, I do find yeah there is a twist there is something that doesn't really it catches you off guard a little bit but it's nothing quite t- to the degree of maybe the best things that we did from Star Wars and Star Trek but it definitely there was a twist but I think it also pulls down kind of when we really look at kind of the big picture looking at the meta narrative as it were from you know kind of God story that all good stories i mean you're a script writer you would probably this is something you probably would know definitely yeah don't leave people leading to them exactly what they think is going to be the end exactly yeah, sure. well it's it's the twist that really grabs people's attention i mean i really can kind of almost point to the gospel and, and looking at the gospel is an ultimate twist you look at this man who really had no significance within his community. We're you talking know, Jesus. about Jesus. Jesus, okay, yeah. yeah, not R.L. <laughs> okay. Stein. Yeah, yeah. But uh, looking at Jesus in his community, but yet the impact that he's had on the world due to his death, burial, and resurrection, it's the ultimate twist. It's that tipping point in history that I can really see the value of and understand why R.L. Stein would actually pull that idea and say, look, it really comes down to the twist. And the twist is probably the most important part of the books. Goosebumps is rated PG for mild, scary themes and stars Jack Black, Holston Sage, Odea Rush, and a huge amount of latex and goo. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, listen, coming up in the show yet, we actually have What the Bible Has to Say About Christmas. It's our final show of the year, so hang around for that. Also, finally, Ben gets the final word for the year in his top five movie resolutions for 2016. Oh, right. Are they the same as yours? Stay tuned to find out. Welcome back. Look, the big picture is something that's a bit of a passion for Ben McKenk and myself and a bunch of other people who are involved, including Russ this week. That's for sure. And we were thinking that, you know, if you haven't had a chance to sample all the sorts of stuff that's gone on, this is show 43 people. So right. check out the big picture website. Dot com, the big picture website.com, <laughs> uh, and see all the sort of shows that have come before. It's also a great resource for Christian parents who are trying to work out, is this something that I want my kids to see on DVD or at the cinemas? Go check out, do a search there, and you'll probably find everything you need to know, the big picture website.com. As I said, it's the final show of the year, and with wildly inappropriate snowmen swaying in the 40-degree heat out there, <laughs> That's right. we thought it would be a great time to ask Bible Society Australia's CEO and social commentator Greg Clark, what the Bible actually has to say about Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, writes the prophet Isaiah, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. To be honest, there isn't much Christmas in the Bible. Oh sure, we have the stunning gospel accounts of Jesus' birth in Luke and Matthew, but not in Mark or John. And that's where we get our history of that first Christmas, yes of course. But as a percentage of the writing that we have in the Old and New Testament, the record of that first Christmas doesn't actually take up much space, a mere few chapters, ten pages at most. So why is Christmas such a highlight of our calendar? Why is it the last remaining element of the Christian story that our general culture celebrates with gusto, even as it tries hard to avoid offending non-Christians by cutting Jesus out of the picture? Well, the answer is found in the rest of the Bible, the other Bible books that don't tell us the story of Joseph and Mary, of baby Jesus' birth in an animal shed, and the wise men and the shepherds in the background somewhere. Those of you who read your Bibles in detail and over a long period of time will be able to tell us that there are many other parts of the Bible that look forward with longing to the events of Christmas. For example, the Old Testament prophet Micah claimed that the ruler of Israel, God's chosen leader, would come from Bethlehem, a very unlikely place to produce a king. The prophet Isaiah claimed that a sign of the arrival in the world of a saviour sent by God would be that a virgin would give birth. And later in his writings, Isaiah also claimed that a child would be given from God who would be a peacemaking prince, wise and wonderful, and, wait for it, actually God himself, as our Bible verse told us. Well, this is where the Christmas season gets less silly and more serious. Various parts of the Old Testament make the claim that God's going to provide a child, a human child, who will be mighty God everlasting father in fact called Emmanuel which means God is with us these claims all made some 700 years or so before Jesus was born were interpreted by those around him to refer to him that little baby meek and mild was believed to be God present with us in human form that is why Christmas is such a big deal We Christians think that the gift we received at the first Christmas was God himself. 
That's Greg Clark from Bible Society Australia. Look, another wonderful product that actually put out by Bible Society Australia, a great supporter of the show, is Eternity Newspaper. So you should actually check out this particular edition, the December-January edition, which is out in churches at the moment, because it has an article from Ben McKechn on Christmas messages in film. December-January is a great time for watching films and things like that. They may not be Christmas films. That doesn't mean they don't have Christmas messages in them. So Ben's actually put a great list together in this in this month's Eternity magazine that reflect the key messages that make up the heart of Christmas. Check those out. As you've probably realised by now, my regular co-host and partner in crime, Ben McKechn, can't be with us for the final show. He's busy sorting things out for the UN overseas while making his own voice heard at the Golden Globes. Who knows? <laughs> but much of the thinking of those awards got him thinking about 2016 and all the things he hopes it might hold. So this week, in our top five, Ben presents his top five movie resolutions for 2016. Are they yours? Five. I used to see four or five movies per week when I was a full-time movie reviewer, and many of them were at previews at night, right at dinner time, smack bang at dinner time. So on a more than regular basis than a nutritionist would recommend, I'd eat popcorn for my tea. It's like dinner and a movie, right? Now, I've backed off doing that during the past couple of years, watching my weight and all that kind of stuff, getting adult and serious, etc. But next year... I'd like to bring back the popcorn dinners. Not every night of the week, I'm not talking that. I'm talking moderation like all the best things because there's something enormously satisfying about finding all five food groups in a paper packet of popcorn. Mmm, buttery. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Actually, because everybody knows chips are a much better meal for you than popcorn. Oh, but I remember doing that when we were kids. We had Sunday night it would always be popcorn night. It was fantastic. Oh, I, I think I agree with Ben completely. I don't feel like I'm going into a cinema unless I'm crunching across the carpet. Okay, Ben, what next? Four. So picture this. You get to the cinema before most people arrive and you pick an excellent seat. I'd say probably the best seat in the house. As others do actually come in, there are plenty of good seats available to choose from. But this person decides out of the ocean of seats that are still available, they're going to sit right in front of you. And not just to the right or to the left right immediately directly in front of you as you might be able to tell this winds me up i do not as i'm watching a movie want to see the top of someone's head when i look at the bottom of the screen it's not what i paid my money for however well there are worse problems in the world and i can usually block out the person's head from my vision if i try hard enough and sometimes there actually isn't a better seat elsewhere for this person and i can't take up my seat and the one in front of me so for my fourth resolution this year be less annoyed when this person sits in front of me. That's actually how Ben and I met. <laughs> like, but, you know, I, to my own defence, everybody was wearing tall hats that year. Uh, they, well, but it happens almost every... I know exactly what he's talking about. You're going, in one theatre, that's the one place you had to sit. I find it fascinating. Or the person sits right behind you who must talk throughout the whole thing. <laughs> that's worse. What? Three... I'm a person who spends a bit of time delving into the wide world of movies and its smaller screen cousin TV shows. But given I'm that kind of person, I don't actually know that much about what the heck is going on with the internet's impact upon that wide world of movies and TV shows. Like, I kind of get the basics, you know, from the streaming options we have to piracy issues and the communities of shared video content that are online. But I have a really limited grasp on what the rise and rise and rise and rise of digitalness actually means for the way that movies and TV are being created and sent out into our world. 
Oh, and, and what the impact is upon us, the audiences, by these changes. So next year, I'm going to be thinking about getting into the many various digital changes that are going on and affecting movies and TV shows. And I reckon you should too, because these changes must have an impact upon us, the audience, and the effects could be bigger than we even realise. So if I understand Ben correctly there, he's going to discover the internet next year. <laughs> exactly. He's going on the line. Okay, he's good. going on the good. line. Watch yeah, out for those info- digital in this. And those, is that, is that those a word? information pipes. Actually, you'll probably be ahead of us. Let's face it. Two. This first year of working on the Big Pictures weekly program and video content has been all kinds of awesome. Really, all kinds. And one of the kinds is getting to work with Mark Hadley. And this is the bit where you can cue sappy music and here comes the long speech about how great it is to discuss movies and TV with someone as thoughtful, interesting and entertaining as Mark. But there have been a few times this year when Mark and I have had our differences, such as about Slow West. Mark and I battled over that Western like rock and roll wrestlers. Now, one of my resolutions for next year is not to have exactly the same opinion as Mark because that's never going to happen. I I really don't want to learn to love Doctor Who. But I am going to strive next year to make sure that when we do disagree, I do it in a way that doesn't resort to raised voices and trying to make my opinion the one that wins. There is definitely a way to have different opinions and to maintain politeness, respect, and fairness. What a nice guy. <laughs> well, now I feel really... bad about criticizing his <laughs> exactly. choices in the previous one. Okay, I can't say any more. Except I do agree with you with Slow West. Yeah. yeah. One. One of the main reasons that the big picture exists is to encourage all of us to think about what we watch and how we watch. And not just to chew that over every now and again, but to actively approach our entertainment time like all other areas of life. That is, that God's in control of it and calls us through his son Jesus to give our entire lives to him. In loving devotion, following how he guides us to live, and newsflash, our entire lives also includes what we watch and what we think about what we watch. So... Like I hope you're going to be doing next year, my number one resolution for 2016 is to give my viewing habits and thoughts and actions based on my viewing habits to God. How can I glorify God when I watch? How can I glorify God when I talk about what I watch? How can I make sure that I'm not just justifying what I watch? Number one next year should be the same for the rest of my life. Give movies and TV watching over to God and ask him to use it to glorify him and his son Jesus. Well, Mark, how can you top that? No, no, that is the best resolution I will... That's Go awesome. right there with you, Ben. That's well awesome. Done. Good on you. Possibly mate. one of the best ways to do that is continue watching the big, <laughs> the big picture. Go <laughs> listening to us each Sunday night. We'll be there. Look, Ben, wherever you are, whoever's custody you're in currently, <laughs> we'd just like to say we've had a great time doing the show with you for this year too. Look, there is much, much more on the way next year in the all way right. of news, film reviews, all that's worth talking about on TV. So look forward to that. Also, the big picture will return on Sunday, January 24th next year at 8 p.m. So make sure you mark it on your calendars, set your clocks, and be there next year on January 24th for the big picture's return. Thanks for making our first year a very big year indeed. Ben, me, Ra- all the regulars, Fernando and Consuela, the rest of the gang who've made this whole thing possible. We'll look forward to chewing your ears in 2016. Have a great year. Have a great year. The Big Picture is a Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world.